Hello and welcome to the MIT Press Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Gondek. And for the next four episodes, in celebration of Open Access Week, the Knowledge Futures Group, a new joint initiative of the MIT Press and the MIT Media Lab, is sponsoring four special episodes on open access at the MIT Press. In this episode, I'll be speaking with Nick Lindsay and Catherine Dunn about synergies among open access, the MIT Press journals, and the MIT library system. Nick Lindsay is Director of Journals and Open Access at the MIT Press. Catherine Dunn is a scholarly communications librarian at the MIT Libraries. Stay tuned after the interview for more information about the show. Nick Lindsay and Catherine Dunn, thanks for being on the MIT Press podcast today. Happy to be here. Thanks for having us. Now, before we get into the specifics of open access in the MIT Press and MIT Libraries, I'd like to talk about open access in general. Could you explain what it is and why it's increasingly important both for university presses and for university libraries? Sure. Um, so open access um, refers to generally to scholarly research literature, that is um, journal articles, conference papers, other things like that, that researchers, um, professors, students give freely to publishers. So um, open access uh, literature is immediately and freely available. And often we also uh, want to be able to do other things with it, like reuse it, um, share it, um, crawl it, index it without any uh, technical or legal or financial barriers. So uh, so that's what open access is. Um, open access uh, is, is baked actually into MIT's mission. So MIT's mission is to generate, disseminate, preserve knowledge, and then to bring that knowledge to bear on the world's great challenges. And in the libraries, we see it as our role to provide access to information in support of that mission. For us, there is increasing urgency about it because journal subscription costs continue to rise and they are really unsustainable. Um, and because the ways that we've been trying to make uh, scholarly uh, research literature uh, more openly available, the ways that we've been trying to make a more open scholarly publishing system haven't been working as well as we'd like. So there's increasing urgency around open access. And Nick, what about for university presses? So MIT Press really has a longstanding commitment to OA, and we've published now uh, almost 100 OA books, and we're up to 10 OA journals, and we certainly plan on doing a lot more. Um, it falls, OA falls within the, well within the kind of values that a press like MIT Press really wants to promote. Um, we want to disseminate our content as widely as we possibly can in accordance with the needs of our editors, societies, and our authors. And frankly, I mean, with given what's happening uh, in academia right now with OA, if we want to continue to be a journals publisher, we're going to have to address it. So um, many science journals now want OA. Um, I often get calls from people who are working at journals, at commercial publishers, who are unhappy with their situation and are interested in pursuing uh, an OA future with a nonprofit press. So this has been really great for us and has informed our strategy moving forward. And it's not hard to see why they want to do it. I mean, the, the benefits of open access are, are, are multifarious. Um, we moved a journal uh, to OA from a subscription base back in 2009. And this journal is a journal called Computational Linguistics. And it's uh, in that first year, its downloads went up almost uh, 500%. And so we've seen just this tremendous uh, interest and growth in OA when moving away from subscriptions. And it's, uh, it's really been heartening. Um, and there are, there, is some, uh, um, there, are, there are some indications that there are some significant benefits to citations as well. 
On the book side, some fields have really come to OA more quickly than others, but uh, our author preferences really do strongly shape what we're doing there. Um, computer science, for example, has a tradition of open publishing, um, at least on the software side, and so people there are, are quite comfortable with it. It's um, more of an unknown to people who are publishing in the humanities, so that sometimes is a different uh, argument with them. Not an argument, but just a different uh, uh, discussion. Um, but overall, I think people simply recognize that there is a global value to their scholarship and publishing OA is a way to get their work out in front of the greatest number of readers possible. Uh, but what about the concerns I would think about economics? Obviously, uh, open access is great as far as access goes. But uh, Catherine mentioned earlier that one of the things that's driving OA within libraries is that question of, you know, cost of journals and the economics. So it seems to me, just as a layman, OA kind of turns that whole cost thing on its head. Are, are there, I guess, could you talk a little bit about the economics of open access as well? Sure. So that this is a key challenge that we address um, whenever we think about open access, either on the books or the journal side. I mean, on the journal side, we have to make sure that we we publish journals that are financially feasible and fiscally responsible, and that means that we do have to find some money somewhere. But I have to say that we've been fairly successful in employing a variety of models across the press to be able to um, to to make our journals financially uh, viable. So we have 10 journals and we've got four different models so far that we've worked on. One is just doing straight up article processing charges or APCs. Uh, another is finding um, money within the society for which we're publishing to be able to cover all the costs that are associated with publication. Uh, another is getting grant funding, um, which occasionally can come through to uh, offset publication charges. And then the finally, um, sometimes departments are, at universities are really interested in sponsoring OA and are willing to pick up the tab. Catherine, let's talk a little bit about libraries. Now, you are the scholarly communications librarian at the MIT Libraries. What are your duties with regards to open access within MIT? When I came to, I came to MIT in 2010, um, which was less than a year after faculty here passed uh, an open access policy, which was uh, the second OA policy in the country to pass after Harvard. Um, an OA policy is a legal tool that allows authors to hold on to rights um, uh, in their scholarly articles so that they can reuse and remix them and share them. And so my job then was um, really very specific to that. It was finding faculty members' articles, uh, solici soliciting them from faculty, and then making them open access by putting them in our institutional repository or our sort of web database called DSpace. Um, a ton has changed and evolved in terms of open access in the last eight years. MIT now has a second open access policy uh, for anyone on campus, any researcher, student, or staff member. And I manage those policies and their implementation. Um, that includes everything from tracking down individual papers to working with publishers that directly send papers to our institutional repository. And researchers also uh, increasingly, I would say, have a lot of questions about their rights as authors and um, and what open access is and uh, what it means to be signing publication agreements and signing away their copyright and what kind of rights they get back. So we in our, um, there are several of us, we answer questions from researchers about this. In terms of um, the libraries at MIT, when I first came there was one person working on open access. Now we have, since 2016, we have a new department that has 10 people in it 
the mission of our department is to make collections decisions, so money decisions and licensing decisions that are explicitly informed by values of openness and increased access. So I am just one of many uh, people now here in the libraries working on these issues. At the systems that you've been developing in the libraries at MIT, have you seen them begin to migrate to other university libraries? Oh, that's a good question. Something like 100 uh, institutions across North America with OA policies. It's definitely uh, on increasing. Um, and then there's a lot of, just in the last year or two, I would say there's a huge amount of engagement on campuses. Um, particularly the University of California system about open access and different coming up with different ways to do it, to go about changing the system, because there's just simply not one answer to solving this problem. So let's go back to the publishing side. Uh, Nick, in the summer of 2017, you were named both director of journals and open access at the MIT Press. What are the goals you'd like to see the press achieve in the next five years with respect to OA? Well, that's a good question. Five years is a long time frame. Um, I would say that most... So much is dependent really on what happens with OA at large in the academy. Um, you know, there's so many things going on, for example, Plan S, which is this effort by European funders to try and force uh, scholars who are accepting their funding to publish in OA journals starting in January 1st, 2020. Um, that could have a significant impact on journals um, and publishers, uh, both commercial and nonprofit. Um, there are many things I would like to see. I would love to see, for example, uh, the humanities figure out a way in which to publish open access. Um, as it stands right now, the significant majority of OA publishing is in the in the sciences. And that's because the sciences are the ones who have been able to pull together money for publication out of their research budgets. Um, clearly, people in the humanities don't have access to the same kind of money, so they, the number of humanities journals that have popped up have been limited. Um, it would be great if we could figure out how to extend the open access universe so that it covers people who are publishing the humanities. Uh, at the press, I mean, I'm reluctant to actually put a number on the number of books and journals that we would like to be publishing OA in the coming five years, but I, I think it's a fair, bear, fair bet to say that uh, it will be more than it is now. Um, OA is becoming more prominent in more fields, um, and as that continues to to evolve, I presume that we will get more requests for people who wish to publish their book away or wish to publish their journal away, and the Press's OA program will grow accordingly. So as we have both the publishing side and the library side, I was curious if there are some particular challenges in bringing scholarly OA to libraries, or also on the flip side, are there some unique opportunities specifically looking at OAs into libraries? There are lots of challenges. Um, some of those challenges are that the scholarly publishing system is continues to be dominated by the subscription-based model, which is really expensive and it continues to rise. The annual sales of academic journals generate revenues of something like eight to ten billion dollars around the world. Um, it's dominated by only a few publishers. It's still closed off to many people, so access is is really limited to those who can pay for it. Um, it's restrictive to authors, so authors who are freely giving their work away to publishers um, also then turn over many of their rights, their copyrights in their work, and that restricts what they and others can do with it. And then it's a really hard system um, to extricate from. So researchers want to be publishing in prestige journals, and they need that for tenure and promotion, and we want to support that, but it makes it hard when, uh, when there are all these other issues. But there are lots of opportunities in this area, too, and Nick can talk about those, like collaborations between MIT and 
So that's a that's a good one. So the one of the great things actually over the last couple of years here uh, at MIT Press is that we've been able to work very very closely with our colleagues over at MIT Libraries on issues around OA. Uh, I meet with Catherine frequently and with Catherine's boss Ellen Finney, uh, and it's really been um, a great opportunity for knowledge sharing between the press and the libraries when it comes to open access. Um, but it doesn't just stop there. Uh, the libraries have actually been um, very supportive of open access at MIT Press to the point at which they are actually providing funding to support open access publications, uh, both on the book and journal side. And th this, is, uh, this has really been a wonderful development and has really allowed us to be able to do some open access publishing that we wouldn't have been able to do otherwise. So I, I laud my colleagues at MIT Libraries for being so forward thinking. Do you see that as a potential model of something that's going on at MIT that could be transferred to other universities? Yes, absolutely. I don't see any reason why not. There's something on the, something on the order of 140 university presses, I think, that are part of the Association of University Presses. And I don't see any reason why some portion of the collections budget at libraries at those institutions couldn't be diverted towards their home institution to be or their home university press to be able to support this kind of publishing. I think it's an excellent idea. Are there any other projects going on right now at MIT regarding open access that you think could be models for the future? As I've said a couple times, I think already the one of the beauties of open access and also maybe one of the frustrations with it is that there is not one right way uh, to do it. So we're trying out lots of different things in the libraries. Um, one of them is a deal that we recently made with the Royal Society of Chemistry. This is a so-called transitional open access agreement or an offsetting agreement. The idea being that we are helping um, RSC take a step towards becoming a fully open access publisher. And the way that we're doing that is we pay the Royal Society of Chemistry one fee under a single license. And that includes subscription access to journals as well as OA publishing for MIT corresponding authors. So this is an experiment and uh, it's one with a trusted nonprofit uh, society publisher whose values really align with ours. Um, and the goal for both of us is that uh, RSC transitions away from the subscription-based journals to fully open access ones. Um, this is a kind of, this is a model that's um, happening. This, we are the first uh, institution in North America to, to have one of these agreements, but it's a pretty common one in Europe where there are lots of sort of national level consortia um, engaging in deals like this with publishers or at least having conversations with them about these kinds of things. Um, and we're starting to see more of that in the U.S. At MIT, there is a task force that's been pulled together. It started in 2017, and it's called the Open Access Task Force. And it's a group of faculty, administrative people, people like myself, people from MIT libraries who are coming together to try and come up with recommendations for making MIT scholarship more open and more available to others in the world. Um, it's been a uh, it's been an ongoing process now for ooh, God, 15 months, 18 months, something in that ballpark. Um, but it, it's really starting to bear fruit at this time, and we've had significant discussions around publications, data, code, educational resources, anything that may um, may come out of MIT that may have the possibility of being made open. Um, we're at the point now where we have some draft recommendations, and. There 
are being discussed with the various schools here at MIT, and then it will be subsequently refined. Let's hope we'll be making these um, available as recommendations to the higher levels of MIT starting in 2019. But it's a good example of how MIT is really a forward-thinking institution when it comes to open. So uh, for listeners that want to keep up with not only what you have been doing, but perhaps what MIT will be doing in the future regarding open access, how can they keep up with this news? Well, on the press side, uh, you can come to mitpress.mit.edu slash open. Uh, or you could follow me on Twitter because I often publish or post about open uh, open access related material. So uh, I am Blue Noser Two, by which you may uh, figure out that I'm actually from Nova Scotia because Nova Scotians are Blue Nosers. Uh, and you can find me on Twitter there, frequently posting about OA. Uh, the OA Task Force has a website. It's um, open dash access.mit.edu. Uh, the library's scholarly publishing um, program has a website, libraries.mit.edu slash scholarly. And I tweet about OA at MIT Lib Scholarly. Catherine Dunn, the scholarly communications librarian at MIT Libraries, and Nick Lindsay, the director of journals and open access at the MIT Press. Thank you so much for being on the MIT Press podcast today. Thanks, Thank you. Chris. Information about the Knowledge Futures Group can be found at mitpress.mit.edu slash kfg. And information about the press in general can be found at mitpress.mit.edu. Don't forget you can follow the MIT Press on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Thanks for listening to this episode of the MIT Press podcast. Copyright 2018. The MIT Press. All rights reserved.